This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope, my friends, this is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams of the New York Post and WABC AM 770 on the dial. I would like to tell you about something that I have heard. Hostilities, hatreds, killings, massacres, bombing and destruction, the ravages of war. A temporary silence is Israel. It is now cloaking the country's tearful prayers for Hamas's return of their hostages. The effort at this instant now is praise to God for his goodness, power, and help in returning the loved ones. In this country's infant days, I was there. I still have a photo of my brand-new then-husband with gold in my ear organizing a fundraiser called Bonds for Israel. She was the first prime minister of the new country. We then existed in famine, hunger, restriction, drought. It was ration cards, limitation, places to stay, no water. Arab sheiks dominated the barren Negev. Food was limited. Water wasn't anywhere. Clothing, nobody had any. It was cold, and none of us had anything. We were all scared. It was everyone struggling for survival. I was a child, a child bride, but I knew enough to be scared, struggling for survival for this country. Today it's a lifetime later, and still they struggle for survival. For now, it's clasped hands and prayerful silence. That's what exists. A temporarily manufactured ceasefire in hopes their loved ones return. But in this manufactured quiet can be heard a faint whisper. I've been told it. I'm reporting it. The barely uttered words, and I hate to say it, I'm just a reporter. Those words were, please, enough now with Netanyahu. Those who seem to know say there were signs that this October 7th onslaught could be in the making. Whisperers tell a listener he had to know. Now I'm going to take a little second to tell you that the New York Times front page today said the same thing. I said it several days ago in the New York Post in my column. Today, the New York Times echoed what I said. Among those involved who know these things, supposedly, there was a concern that, quote, something could maybe happen, close quote. And it's cruel to demean Bibi with what's at hand, but no one is any more happy with him. Our people are smart, so they had to know better. They knew better. They reported better. Allegedly, there were signs, like maybe reports 
were ignored. So although always concerned something could happen, could the Prime Minister possibly have become self-involved? They who have told me have said yes. They believe it has happened. He had become focused on his own judicial issues, possibly preoccupied, maybe even took his eye away from the possibility. I am not saying this. I am only repeating what I have been told by Israelis in the country. As we speak, people trying to be heard are saying, it is cruel to demean Bibi now with what's at hand. Bibi Netanyahu will be hard to replace. After America's 9-11, everyone came together. At this moment, Israelis tell you, people will now not speak. For us happening in Israel is everyone's quiet, united in trying to get their loved ones home. But it's whispered about is that maybe this might not have happened if our former Prime Minister Ariel Sharon were still around. Also being said quietly is, but who do we get to run the country? Military observist Gilad Sharon. He is the eldest of the late Sharon's three sons and confidant of his father. This is a name often repeated. Rumors exist as to whether or not he should allow himself to be talked into it. Gilad was in Gaza recently, back home at dinner in a private room. Leaders urged him to run for prime minister. His reply, please look at what just happened to us. Now is not the time for such talk. Now is the time for unity. Now it is just for us to get the hostages home. At this moment, the only audible sounds from those Israelis any of us can reach comes from the prayers from their, for their loved ones. All of us echo that. I know there are people who think differently. They are entitled to their thoughts. I am just speaking with those with whom I have had conversation. They are in Israel. They are wounded. They are bleeding. They are asking for prayers. That is all I am saying now. And I thank you very much for listening to me. And I'm going to continue talking about prayers because after the station break, I am going to be speaking with His Eminence Cardinal Dolan, the Archbishop of New York. He will be my guest. So this is a broadcast of hope and prayers. And please keep listening. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am going to be speaking with someone who is a friend to our city and our world and me personally. Cardinal Dolan, His Eminence, Timothy Cardinal Dolan, 
will be our guest this afternoon. His Eminence Timothy Cardinal Dolan was named Archbishop of New York by Pope Benedict on February 23, 2009. He had served as Archbishop of Milwaukee. Born February 6, 1950, Cardinal Dolan was the first of five children, began his high school seminary education at St. Louis, and he is now the Archbishop of New York at St. Patrick's. He is a friend to our city, and I am very grateful to say he is also a friend personally of mine. And now I am going to speak to His Eminence, Timothy Cardinal Dolan. You know what I'd like to know? I'd like to know your eminence seriously, your upbringing. Where'd you go to school? How good were you in, oh, in class? Thanks, Cindy. This is a good time of the year to think about the past with gratitude as we approach uh, uh, Christmas. I had a happy family. Did we have our problems? You bet. But my mom and dad loved each other. I was the oldest of five. We moved to a beautiful little uh, town called Baldwin. Uh, which is all oh, about 40 minutes outside of St. Louis. It was kind of kind of country when we moved there. Now it's the heart of the suburbs. And I, it was a good family. We had a tiny little uh, house. We were a block away from Holy Infant Parish, which was my Catholic uh, parish. I had great friends. We had sports. We had. I was at a good Catholic school. The priests and the sisters were great. A lot of supportive neighbors. It was happy. I don't want to say it was uh, Ozzie and Harriet because there were uh, there were uh, enough challenges and difficulties. I can remember my dad losing his job three times and wondering what what was going to come next. But in general, Cindy, it was family, it was friendship, it was fun, it was faith, and I love it, and I'm grateful to God for it. Did you flunk anything? <laughs> the only th- I was never good in science. And I did get in high school a D in chemistry, which I've recuperated from because now I can mix chemicals into a very good martini. But other than that, I I was never too good at science. I wasn't too good at math. But when you talk about history and geography and literature and, of course, religion, yeah, I was kind of on a roll. But uh, I and I wasn't all that good at sports. I love baseball. I love soccer. But I was hardly the first to be chosen for the teams. But other than that, uh, other than that, happy times. Why, why, why decide to be a priest? Well, I don't know. I, from the beginning, well, first of all, my mom and dad and my family were they were they were sincere Catholics. They weren't they weren't alt Catholics. They weren't uber Catholics. They were just sincere meat and potato Catholics who took their faith seriously. I've always known and loved great priests. And from the beginning, uh, they were close to my family. I saw them in action. I watched what they did. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't mind spending the rest of my life that way. And there were other stuff that enchanted me. I thought, hey, I might want to be a teacher. I might want to be a doctor. But there was always the fascination with the priesthood. And I always was affirmed. My mom and dad, absolutely no coercion. They said, hey, Buster, that'll be great if you're a priest, but we'll be happy whatever you do. So it just kind of was a a little tickle, a little uh, magnet, a bit of a fascination from the beginning. It, It developed into the real thing. Do you not miss the ordinary life of a non-priest? I do. You know. You know what I miss? What? I miss. I miss having a wife and kids. I don't mind saying that, but that's not bad. Uh, 
uh, uh, the popes have said, hey, if you don't want to be a father and a husband, you shouldn't be a priest because we're not called to be bachelors. We're called to be spiritual fathers and husbands. But I have to admit, I miss that. You, we were to get, you were together. Thank you with my yeah. family. And yeah. you see yeah, how much yeah. I love those little kids and, and I miss it. And so I kind of do miss that, you know, Christmas time. I, uh, you know, you kind of miss getting up in the morning and seeing the kids jumping up and down, opening gifts. Those are little things I remember fondly from my childhood that I said, boy, I kind of miss that, but God is good. And he's, he's given me abundant blessings to compensate for that. And, uh, so, you know, you, none of us, none of us has a, uh, a rose garden, but I'm sure pretty close. Do you remember an early Christmas, a gift that you might have gotten something? I do. You know, <laughs> I can remember my first ball glove when I oh. was five or six. I can. But, you know, I was also, as I mentioned to you, you know me, I'm no what they call Holy Joe, but I, I do take <laughs> my faith seriously. And my mom and dad knew that. So they would give me well, like a, they would. I, I can remember getting my first prayer uh, prayer book when I was seven and getting ready for First Holy Communion. And I just loved that and cherished it and read the prayers and looked at the pictures. I remember that. I don't remember the stupid socks and the gloves that we'd get, but I do remember uh, <laughs> I do I do remember some of those toys. I remember once my, my brother Bob and, well, look, he's uh, I was probably 10. Yeah, I was 10 when he was born in 57. I was born in 50. We got up on Christmas morning and there was set up a little a bowling set in the hall. And I thought it was mine and he thought Santa had left it for his for him and he was right. So that was a bit of a disappointment, but we still were able to use it together. I don't mean to in any way be disrespectful cuz you know what a wonderful sweet person I am indeed, but what might you want to change about the Catholic Church's rights. I am not Catholic. I have been to the service many times, and of course I will be at your Christmas Eve. But You better be. I shall be. And I don't shall forget, be. I don't shall forget be. There's, there, there are two collections. Don't forget. All right? <laughs> There'll be three, because you'll grab me beforehand. <laughs> but even, even before, what might you change about the Catholic Church? It just seems to me that our devotion might do as well without all the rights. Yeah, you've mentioned that before, Cindy, and you and I have always had good conversations about that. So really, you use, you use the correct word, rights, R-I-T-E-S. We use yeah. the word ritual, ritual. We're not the only religion with it. Uh, uh, the, our Jewish neighbors have it. Uh, everybody has kind of a ritual. Why? Because God, God's tough to pin down. Uh, the Lord is tough to get, can be tough to get close to. So he's good. He, he knows us well, and he gives us things like uh, bread and wine. He gives us things like song. He gives us things like standing and kneeling. He gives us things like incense. He gives us things like candles. He gives us the beauty of flowers and cribs and advent wreaths, all because he knows us well. He, in his eyes, we're still little kids, and we need all the help we can get to feel closer to him. And that's ritual. That's ritual. Now, there are a lot of religions without them. 
you know, uh, uh, that's kind of what the Puritans were all about. Let's purify religion of all this ritual. But most religions have them. Look at our streets now, Cindy. We got lights. We got trees. We got snowflakes. We got music. We got, this is all, in a way, ritual. And religion is the master at that. And I'm kind of grateful that the Catholic Church is seen as a pro in ritual. Man, you do have it down, Your Eminence. I swear to talk to you. Well, I wish I did. And listen, listen, sweetheart, you help me because you ask probing questions, and it's good. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would, you know, you you've been good. You've been saying, "Look, I go to a Catholic church. I enjoy going, but I don't know when to stand, when to sit, when to kneel, when to bow, when to cross myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Well, for me, I find those soothing. I find those kind of. Uh, you, you know, it's like what, what we would do at the table. Uh, there's certain manners, there's certain protocols, uh, and those kind of those kind of make the Lord a bit more accessible. And I need that. Okay, I mean, I'll I'll take whatever you say. It doesn't make any difference. You're the Archbishop, and I don't really care. I think you're terrific. So let's go on to something that maybe I can actually agree with. What did you do? to celebrate becoming an archbishop. It is such a huge thing to have happened to a human being. Well, thanks. You, you know, though, in my mind, I'm not trying to be humble here. Uh, I There's a lot of great things that have happened in my life. I just mentioned some of them, growing up in a warm, embracing family. Baptism, I can't remember, but that was the best day in my life when I was adopted by God as one of his children and entered the family of the church. My first Holy Communion, I can remember well. Uh, my first dance, my first girlfriend. Those are all those are all great things that God has been good to me. But you're right. There was a certain drama to becoming an archbishop. Uh, you're talking to a kid that just wanted to be a parish priest because I love the priests in my parish. And all of a sudden, when I became a bishop and then an archbishop and then archbishop in New York, I thought, good Lord, I don't know if you know what you're doing, but you never let me down. If you think <laughs> I'm up to this and if you'll provide the grace to do it and the mercy when I flop, uh, let's take it away. And, and that's, that's all it was. The good thing, too, Cindy, when you get, when you get a duty in the church— bishop, archbishop, cardinal, whatever. You got tons of people helping. I can remember back in 2009 when I came here as archbishop, I didn't have to do anything. I just showed up and it was all planned and I read the script and people were whispering in my ear. It was kind of easy. I relaxed and enjoyed it. Like what's changed now? Uh, well, it's still the same. It's still the I hope, same. I hope I'm still. If I quit, if I quit enjoying it or lose my exuberance, I'm going to say, "Let's go fishing, Dolan. This is over." But no, it's still great. People surround me. The people back you up and love you, and I try to love them back. So it's it's a pretty good gig, Cindy Adams. I'll tell you that. Ever think? Ever think when you were growing up, you would become actually an archbishop, an eminence? No, and I mean that. People say that, oh, you know, Dolan's going to be a bishop. Who knows? I, I, no, I wanted to be a priest. I wanted to be a good priest. Were there, even when I was a priest, were there kind of some parishes I looked at and said, boy, I wouldn't mind having that parish one day. This is a beaut. But I never thought I'd be a bishop or an archbishop or a, a cardinal. But, uh, heck, I never thought I'd be born. So those, they're all gifts, aren't they? And we just need to be grateful. 
Okay. I mean, you're just so full of the spirit that I can't, there's nothing I can do to break this. You're, you're just well, you absolutely. you are kind to say I'm full of the spirit because I've heard you say other things. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Let us continue onward. Did you, did you ever want to wear a, a a T-shirt and jeans like the rest of little people? Yeah, I do. I do. Look, I'm talking to you now, and I'm in khaki pants and a sports shirt, and I'm smoking a cigar at the table, so I'm glad we're not on TV. So, uh, yeah, no, I relax. I love relaxing. It's not, it's not all formal. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of private life. I'm grateful for my family and friends. I'm grateful for people like you that keep me human and, and tell me that they care for me. But I, no, I, I have no trouble relaxing. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, um, I'm a priest to the core of my being, but that doesn't mean I, I don't have a private life and, and uh, personal uh, uh, pleasures that I enjoy. I don't mind, you know, just sitting and reading a good book. Uh, sitting and catching up on phone calls, taking a long walk to this city that through this city that we both cherish. Those are things that, and I don't, you know, I don't get dialed up when I'm out walking and all. I'm with, not even the homeless people recognize me. But the, uh, so those those are private things that I enjoy and I cherish, and you can't lose that. I've seen I've seen priests and bishops and cardinals who have no personal private life. And they, they end up being kind of sad and crabby. Um, so yeah. unless, and, and for me, look, I don't want to get pious here, but I love spending time with my best friend, who's uh, one called Jesus. And I talk to him. Uh, I've never heard his voice audibly, but he sure gives me graces and inspiration. And I try to spend an hour with him just in quiet prayer with my, my Bible and in the morning. And, and that sustains me. That's, that's the love of my life. Okay, we will get to Jesus a little bit later. Right now, I, I hope want to we talk. all do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, I mean, I'll get to him. I'll get to him. But right now, I want to ask you about religion today. Yeah. Where are we? Are we getting priests? Are we getting people to come in and listen to services? Are we blessing God? What the hell is happening to us? Well, what the hell is happening to us is I'm afraid at times we have more hell than we got heaven. Um, yes, we do have guys coming in to be priests. Yes, we do have people in our churches. Yes, we do have people saying, I need God, but not enough. And I'm afraid that one of the, boy, I'm afraid that one of the reasons we're in such a mess is that we've forgotten about God. Now, that's not new. When you read the Bible, you know that. That's what happened to God's people. We, we usually forget God. Most of the time, we end up thinking that we're gods. And that's when we get into trouble, when we forget that, that he's our father, we're his children, he's the creator, we're the creatures, he is Lord, not us, he has control, not us. We forget religion. And I'm kind of afraid of that. I'm you know, you know. Uh, by training, I'm an American historian, an American church historian. The United States of America has always prized religion. They don't care what it is. And people without religion, they treat with the same respect as usual. But in this country, religion, faith, has always had a dominant role. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that's diminishing. I'm not only afraid it's diminishing, I know it is. The stats tell us that. Uh, and that bothers me. And, and th- but then I, I, 
I, you sober up and I say, well, no wonder we got the violence. No wonder we got the crime. No wonder we got the drugs. No wonder we got the suicide. No wonder we're in a big, fat mess because we're playing God and we've forgotten the real God. And uh, that, so that bothers me. I do wonder, though, if the time of crisis that we're in is going to be an invitation to return to him. That happens, you know. Uh, times of crisis kind of brings us back. I, I wasn't here in New York at 9-11. You were. Yeah. Heck, you were here in New York when Babe Ruth was here. But, uh, but um, <laughs> you, you know, I hear St. Patrick's, Patrick's was jammed. And, and people were in there crying and lighting candles and saying, how can we help? A return to the Lord. A return to the Lord. Does it ever dawn on you, Cindy, when we got a national crisis or when we hear of a tragedy, one of the first things people say is, oh, my God. Now, I know that's an exclamation. But does that not indicate kind of the innate plea that we have within us? Dear Lord, we need you. We have forgotten you. Please come. Be our savior, be our helper, because we're making a mess out of things. And so I wonder when I'm tempted to get down, when I read the paper or listen to the news, I'm thinking, Lord, maybe this is going to sober us up and bring us back to you. Where are ex-Catholics going? This is interesting, and you're wise to ask it. The studies tell us that people who leave the church and they, well, listen, people that don't go to church anymore, most of them do not belong to other religions. Some do. Some go to maybe uh, other, other churches that we know. Most of them just leave religion. They leave faith. So what we're getting is not people. So if somebody says, well, I was born and raised a Catholic, but now I am a do yeah. they say an Episcopalian? Do they say a Baptist? Do they say a Presbyterian? No, they say, now I don't have any religion. We yes, call them yes, the yes. nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. And that's what I'm worried about. And in one way, if I heard of somebody that left the Catholic faith, I'd be, I'd be uh, upset and I'd try to win them back. But at least I, if they were going to the Episcopalians or the Evangelicals or what, whatever, I'd say, yippee, at least they still got a religion. Now most people don't feel they need one. And that's, that bothers me. I think the the whole thing has gone down. I mean, they're they're selling grass on the streets, you know, cannabis. Everything has everything has changed, and it makes me it makes me very nervous. How does the world treat an eminence, especially if you're going back to this place which is called Missouri, wherever the hell that is? I don't know even where where it is. I'm going to take you there once. No, forget it, forget it. You'd have to gas me. I'm going to hold a gun to your head and get on a plane. Get out of here! We'll go out to Missouri. I'll 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 change to Buddhism rather than do that. What you don't sit in the middle seat in the back of a plane. What happens when an eminence is doing anything? Do, does everyone bow down? I mean, seriously. No, you know, I'm I'm very amazed. Uh, I'm very amazed at you know the courtesy and the respect that people show me. And I why? Because I'm thinking sometimes they'll say, "Oh, your eminence," and I'm turning around and saying, "Who who's she talking to?" Uh, and especially Cindy. Let me be honest. Some of the things that priests and bishops and cardinals have done, 
I'm thinking, good Lord, they still have a sense of respect and, and courtesy, which I highly appreciate. It's not me as Tim Dolan. It's me as, I guess, just a, a churchman, a, a, church, a pastor, a, a church leader. But, yeah, there's... You know, there, there's courtesy. They'll, 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 they'll want to greet, greet me. They'll want to ask for prayers. That always moves me. Most of the time, people asking for prayers have deeper faith than I do. But they're asking me for prayers. They're asking me to remember their kids. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of deference. But I got to be careful because Jesus warned us, be, care, be careful when you always want the top seat and when you want to be at the front of the line and where you want to be treated with honor and esteem. Be careful because that's not a good motive. So I, I watch myself. Listen, I understand that because the last supper I was there, I was third from the left. You so were- I, <laughs> I mean, I know all this. You're the one in that Leonardo da Vinci thing, yeah, the Leonardo da Vinci portrait, yeah, the Last Supper. <laughs> I already, I already know all most of yes. most of this. Okay, what happens to an ex archbishop when he's not archbishoping any longer? Okay, now you got it. There's two things. So you, you the, so an archbishop is who you are, and what you do. Now, when I, I'll never be an ex, uh, I mean, I'll be the ex-Archbishop of New York, probably in two years or so, but I, I never lose my priesthood, I never lose the, the fact of being an Archbishop, but I won't have the administrative duties, I won't have the, uh, a lot of stuff to do like I do now, but boy, I'll be able to concentrate on the things that I really relish. You know where I was earlier this week? I was up at Wallkill with the prisoners. And I was there. I was there for Mass. I visited with them and everything. Then, of course, uh, they say, you got to go, you got to go. We got another appointment. I'm saying, you know what? When I'm retired as an archbishop, I could spend all day here. I can chat with these guys. I can listen to them. They all want to talk longer to me, and now I can't. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm able to get out from behind the desk and be a I can still do that, even if I even if I don't have the duties uh, of of being of of the job of an arch, archbishop. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I have been at your residence. I have been, and I have seen the way you are treated, and I have seen everybody falling down in front of you, including myself, who loves you, even though I'm not Catholic. So I understand all that. I just don't see you as a simple person gardening and and mowing lawns and dusting and cleaning up your own dishes. I don't see it, honey. You got a point. I don't think I'd be. I'd do that. <laughs> yeah. Well. But so. I, but you will. You will see me walking more. You'll see me visiting more. You'll see me reading more. Uh, that kind of stuff. You'll see. You'll see me in the hospitals more. The jails more. The nursing homes more. The schools more. The charities more. That's what I love. And I'll just. I'll just be able to do that. Could you then? Would you? Maybe. Would you be allowed to marry? No, no. That's a lifelong uh, promise that I made to remain uh, celibate for the sake of the kingdom. And I, no, I, I wouldn't be. Why are you proposing or what? No, no, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> because you're living better than I am. So I'm thinking that's possible. 
but that's not it. Also, I don't like your wardrobe. But other, than, <laughs> other than, you know, they're going to kill me. People listening to me, I, I, I know. <laughs> I've seen you look at my jewelry with envy. I know you better than that, Cindy Adams. I know that. I know that. I know that. Okay, so do former former archbishops. Do they still do their work? They will still do their work. Is that it? Although, although yeah, they're not yeah, encumbered. but you know what? I I won't have to go to the meetings. I won't have to sign the checks. I won't have to make tough decisions about merging schools and parishes, tra- transferring priests. I won't have to do that stuff. Uh, and and you know what? That's I don't mind that. You know, a lot of retired people that are uh, that are still very active and actually still making an impact that I hope I'm able to do it. Could you, I mean, I don't know how to ask this. People will think I'm, there's something the matter with me. But could you tell us the story of Jesus' birth? We've read, we know all about it. But you must know little things or think little things that we don't. Well, well, thanks for thinking so. I hope so. And Christmas is the great narrative when we're reminded of God's plan, which happened from the beginning, Cindy. Remember, at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God intended us to be in peace and love and friendship and unity with Him. We blew it. Adam and Eve blew it from the beginning. But from the beginning, God said, well... I'm going to give him another chance, and I'm going to send somebody to get things back on the right track. So he had his son, our Savior, in mind from the beginning. He had a plan. It it included a a beautiful young woman whom uh, he sent an angel to ask, would you be the mother of my son? And she said, fine. It it entailed her and her her brave husband, Joseph, uh, traveling far away to Bethlehem because the oppressive Roman emperor had said everybody's got to leave home and go register to their native uh, town so that I can tax you higher so I know how many people I got to control. Uh, It involves him going to Bethlehem. It involves them uh, no room at the end. It involves them having to take shelter in a manger with animals. And there, God's only begotten Son was was brought into the world, heralded by angels. And the angels simply said, hey, don't be afraid. You're not in darkness. There's a star up there. God has sent his son. Things are going to be okay. We're not alone. Emmanuel, he is with us. That's the Christmas story. And there's a lot of other stuff that we celebrate and, and think about. But that's it in a nutshell. Um, tell me tell me about if you've ever – I don't know how to ask this so you don't get mad at me. Have you, have you ever screwed up or goofed up ever? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's why – now, look, you know, one of the more – One of the sacred responsibilities I have as a priest is to hear confessions. I do it every Friday morning at St. Patrick's. And I myself go to confession at least every other week because I've, (laughs) I've messed up. I've messed up. I've lost my patience. I've made a bad decision. I've slept in and missed an appointment. I have uh, failed to visit someone in the hospital. I failed to st- stay in touch with people. I have uh, perhaps eaten too much, even on occasion had uh, maybe sipped a little bit too much. Oh, no, and no, I, no. That bothers me. That bothers me. And I say, Lord, I did it again. I'm sure sorry. I'm not 
myself when I do it. I'm not the person you intended me to be. But thank God I have a God who's not only gives second chances, but 2,000 chances. So I need that. You know, I, you, you are so high that we're, we're all in. Who is now an archbishop. But when I came to your residence, even years ago, we had O'Connor, Archbishop O'Connor, and he oh, took me him. upstairs to his room, and he allowed me to go into his closet, and he showed me it was so simple. The wardrobe was very simple. The room was very simple. Do you, I don't know how to ask the question, so you don't think I'm so stupid, but we all faint for you and fall down to see an archbishop, but you actually upstairs from in your private quarters live quite simply. Do you not? They're, they're very, they're very, yes, they're very simple. I mean, I had a lot of beautiful gifts that God, that uh, people have given me, and I have my books, which I cherish, and my rooms are certainly comfortable, but they're far from lavish or opulent. You're right about Cardinal O'Connor. Do you know that he, that he slept on a cot? A literal cot. Well, you probably saw it when you yeah. came up. Uh-huh. And yeah. he said, well, I did that as a, uh, he was a chaplain in the Navy. And he said, I did that as a chaplain and I'm comfortable and I'm not going to change things. So I still kind of got, you look at my closet, you're going to see those those uh, khaki pants and sports shirts that I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, do I have a closet with the robes in them and stuff? Sure I do. But uh, no, I, I'd like I, I'd like to think that the room when you come into my house, uh, the the first floor is is very ornate. Okay, yeah. I always say yes, it's yes, it's yes. like it's like walking into Frankie Campbell's or something. It's like a <laughs> it's like a funeral <laughs> parlor. But but when you get upstairs, you're going to see the the little refrigerator with some Budweiser in it. You're going to see my uh, my comfortable rocking chair and and my books and, and I it's it's pretty simple. Does someone as high as you ever get hungry in the middle of the night and go downstairs in bare feet and raid the refrigerator like any other human being? Well, I put on slippers because we have a great dog here and you never know what you're going to walk into. So I put into my sli- I put on my slippers. Yes. And you know what I often do? I'll yeah. go to, if I can't sleep in the middle of the night in my robe and pajamas, I'll go make a cup of decaffeinated tea. I'll put some honey in it and maybe a little Irish whiskey. And I'll walk <laughs> over to St. Patrick's <laughs> Cathedral that is empty and just walk around. And that you mean you would, me you would go into St. Patrick's, this giant palace by yourself at night? I'd go. I go in there by myself. The candles are on. There's usually a, there's always one of our magnificent police officers who are usually right outside or sometimes even within the cathedral because they've assigned they always assign a a, a cop for this block. And I'm I'm not alone. I believe the Lord's living there, and I I feel at home. I feel like I'm I'm walking into my little home in Baldwin again. It's got all the pictures of my family, Mary and Joseph and and Jesus, and they're all there. I feel at home. Listen, if the Lord's really in the residence, I hope He goes for a part of my maintenance. It would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me about, tell me, please let me unburden. Tell me what we're going to do with our beloved New York City. It bothers me because, look, I've only been in New York for 15 years. 
Um, and, and I love this place. I love New York. I'm going to stay here when I retire. I could go back to Baldwin. I could go back to Milwaukee. I could go to Rome. Who cares? I could go to Ireland with friends. I'll stay here. This is my home. I do worry. I do worry. When I look outside my window and see these people protesting and defending uh, some of these atrocities that we see, when I look out and see people waving swastikas, I'm saying, oh, my Lord, this isn't the New York I've come to come to love and cherish and in which I feel so much at home. We're better than this. And so I do. I do worry. I I do worry about our city. But look, you've been around longer than I have. You can remember we've been through it before. Um, You think of the days after Pearl Harbor. You think of the days after 9-11. You think after Hurricane Sandy. We, We bounce back. We come through it. We get closer together. And I believe that's going to prevail. But Eminence, when we did 9-11, we were all together. Taxi cabs had the, our flag flying. We are not yeah. together now. We are very we're, separated. Everybody is are. in some different area. How do we get ourselves together again? We are very disjointed. And not only, well, diversity is a good thing. I mean, being different. But there's also, uh, there's also we're one nation under God. And that's what we've forgotten. That's where identity comes from. Our identity doesn't come from whether we watch Fox or CNN. It doesn't come from whether we're for Trump or Biden. It comes from the fact that we're children of God, made in his image and likeness. And we look at one another as brothers and sisters, as members of the one family. In a way, New York reminded me of that. But now, boy, I'm sorry, but I think you're right. Uh, Sometimes I see that threatened. We're looking at each other with suspicion. We're afraid to round the corner. The man up there, is he going to jump out and spit at me? That that does bother me. Well, is other than prayer, do you have any ideas that we can send to City Hall? Well, I don't know about I don't know about uh, the city hall, but I do have. We got to start with ourselves. There's not much we can do about all that stuff out there, but we can take care of ourselves. And when I say take care of ourselves, I mean that we know what's best in us. That we that we nurture the faith that with, is within us, even if we know that it's uh, it's an ember and not a flame. That we return to God. That we return to one another, and that we say. We can't all burrow in our holes afraid. We've got to walk the streets and smile and help and pray and hold hands instead of making fists. And that I can change. That I can do for myself and encourage other people to do it as well. Listen, I have to thank you enormously for giving me all of this time. I am so thrilled that you'd allow me to talk with you this long. Am I not supposed to be at some luncheon on next the end of the week? Are you coming to the St. Nicholas luncheon? Well, I was invited. Obviously, you don't I'm remember. Glad. But I was I invited. I am glad you are coming to the Catholic <laughs> Charities luncheon. You will be most welcome. And save the last dance for me. Thank you. I love you. I love you. I love, love you, your eminence. You. Thank Thanks you. for the invite. Thank you. I hope I see you before Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Bye honey. Thank you. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. And now it's time for me to hang up 
or they'll fire me altogether. So if you're still with me, please tune in again next Sunday at 2 o'clock, and I will be on until 3 if they still let me. And thank you very much for listening this far. It's Cindy Adams, New York Post, WABC.